guys, welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. I'm Victoria. And I'm Whitney. We're so glad you joined in to listen today. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about Numbers, chapters 5 and 6. But to pick up where we left off last week, let's quickly recap what we saw in chapters 3 and 4. So last week, we focused solely on the Levites. We talked about Aaron's sons and how they were the only ones that could be priests. Um, We learned that God took the rest of the Levites to assist with the duties of the tabernacle. Um, In this, we saw two senses performed. Um, The first one was to ensure that there were enough working men to support the tabernacle. And this led to an interesting discussion on ministry. Then the Lord calls for the Levites to be used in place of the firstborn. The Levites will be redeemed rather than the firstborn of all the Israelites. And this also included their calves, Um, which calves... The animals, like the calves. Animals. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> legs. The legs. Hammy ham. Not the legs. <laughs> My <laughs> legs. Continue. Um, which led us to the second census. Um, and this was performed basically to ensure that there were enough Levites to cover all the firstborn of the Israelites. The census showed that they came up 273 short, mm-hmm. um, which we discussed and believed those 273 would be the firstborn that were born since the Exodus. We thought the whole 20, the whole 200, 22,000 of them would have been the ones born since the first census because it's been over a year. Yes. Okay. That's what we thought. But there was a discrepancy in the number. Yes, there was. And those, the discrepancy, the discrepancy, they're people. Um, (laughs) And those, uh, that number, basically they had to be taxed. They had to pay a tax to redeem the firstborn since there were not enough people to take their place. And that was split among the people. Yep. Which Likely. brings us. It oh, doesn't really say. Also, sorry, skip the latter half where we also talked about <laughs> all the what uh, tribes, or I'm sorry, which clans within the tribes of Levi had what jobs in regards to what they did. Yeah, Don't with the tabernacle. Don't look at it. Don't do it, <laughs> lest you die. <laughs> yes, lest you die. That's. <laughs> when we eventually put out merch okay that's never gonna happen <laughs> shirts words are hard lest you, die. lest you die the next one lest you die i'm pretty sure when i put my earrings in this morning i like threaded through a hair i saw you messing with that and it's and i wanted me. to ask but i also was already losing my place in reading so <laughs> i'm gonna fix that really take fast. it out yeah so we're starting in chapters five and six which if you ask me I mean, it kind of goes hand, not hand in hand, but it kind of goes with the ebb and flow of the beginning of this book. Yeah. But at the same time, we have something in chapter five that's kind of like, what? What? <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. glad we had the same reaction mm-hmm. because it I was, was like, legit. Uh, like, what's Don't remember about? learning about this in Sunday school. <laughs> they didn't teach it. I can guarantee you that. Like, um, yes. And I thought I felt like a lot of it, too. Not a lot of it, but some of it was a lot of review from yeah. Leviticus. Leviticus. Yeah, there's a lot of things that go back to Leviticus, which makes sense why Leviticus was first rather than yeah. the other way around. Correct. So chapters five and six are the quote unquote cleansing of the camp in preparation for the move when they're about to pack up all the things and get on the journey to wherever they're going next. Correct. So chapter five begins with the Lord commanding Moses 
to take the people of Israel and put them out of the camp who have a leprous disease, who had a discharge and who had come in contact with the dead. Like all of the things that we touched on in Leviticus, whatever made you unclean and Mm -hmm. unable to worship, to be in the presence of God, you had to be put out of the camp. Correct. I mean, there were some instances where you didn't have to be put out like and separated from the people, but you still had that separation. Yeah. In this instance, I think they're literally talking about take those people and put them outside. And rem- yeah, because we, and we also remember we kind of talked about not kind of we definitely talked about this. Oh, goodness. I don't even know what episode it was, but several episodes ago when we were talking about like being unclean versus mm-hmm. clean is, is that when you are not 100 percent, you couldn't be in the presence of God. Yep. So it was yes for everybody's protection around you, mm-hmm. but also for your own protection as well. Yeah. So they were the purity laws that we talked about in Leviticus were being put forth and now enforced Mm -hmm. by and well, not enforced, nay, commanded by God to be enforced. Yes. Now, before they move um, so that God could stay with them through the journey. Enduring Word says um, about them being put out of the camp. It says it wasn't that any of these things made a person or proved a person to be a notorious sinner though that was an often wrongly assumed. Rather, it was that leprosy, unclean discharges, and dead bodies were reminders of the effects of sin from which Israel must separate themselves as they prepare to march toward the promised land. We could consider these sources of uncleanness as an analogy of humanity's sin's nature. Humanity's sin nature inherited from Adam. A leper does not choose leprosy, but receives it. So our sin nature is not chosen, but inherited from Adam. We choose individual acts of sin, but our sin nature was received. Yes. And I feel like we did a really good job hitting on that and discussing, I'm sure, for mm-hmm. hours it was such, back in Leviticus. Yeah. Because like at first, when you're looking at it, and if you you know, don't recall or not familiar with by what they mean by unclean. Like you're reading all these things and you're like, oh, well, he's just kicking all these people out. No. You know? Yeah, that's not, I mean, technically, yeah, that's what he's doing. But, but like, like, that's there's not a what? reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's preventative. A yeah. Um, so verse three says, you shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. So they had to be literally removed, removed from camp. It was men and women um, were put out if necessary. I saw something somewhere, or maybe I just thought about it. I don't, I don't know. Um, it says sex, sympathy, or status did not exclude you. That's really good. Because like sin falls us all and yeah. it doesn't matter. Uncleanness doesn't discriminate. All. No. So like, yep. Everybody, it, you know, it doesn't mean that they were left behind to perish. Like you're, they just couldn't be out. with the group. No, you're being kicked out. You're going to die. No, that is not what it means. Um, they just weren't allowed to march in their proper place with their family, familial tribe. Mm-hmm. And they had to be outside of like the marching order. They probably just wandered behind. The yeah, last like people. at the back. <laughs> like you hate to say the caboose, but like they the were. Caboose. And at probably the same time, they were probably the first people to be like murdered had they been attacked. I was thinking about that, like the first people to be picked off or whatever. Yeah. As terrible as that sounds, it's probably true. I mean, like they're sick. They're walking around like mm-hmm. mm, animals would be crazy. Yep. So my study portion says, um, for the exclusion, says the unclean are excluded from the tribal encampments of chapter two and must live in places such as caves or wilderness tents separate from the people. Caves. I tried to look up like what happened to the people that were like cast out. Like, was there anything anywhere that said what their living situation was like or like what? No, nothing. I couldn't find anything. Nothing at all. Mm Mm-mm. 
Nothing. I'm sure some of them because they knew they couldn't, especially if it were a disease that was not going to go away, and mm-hmm. they knew they had it was like a chronic illness that they knew that they had, and they knew it was not going to go away. I'm sure some of them just made lives where they were, like especially yeah. if you had a a permanent dwelling place like a cave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. So uh, this is also me just them. making they stuff up as well. Could, yeah, cleave themselves from the people. How sad is that? Like, thank God for Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what if you know you were on your period and you couldn't go to church like you know or you had a kid and you couldn't and it was a girl and you couldn't be back in worship and for 66 days like but i don't think were those people removed from the camp i don't remember but like like, you had a whole family and you had like i don't know some kind of chronic skin condition what if your job was to embalm bodies yeah like you (laughs) you literally could not be with your people like how but those people that came in contact with the dead they could be redeemed to come back so i bet you the people that could like be redeemed or like their time i mean i don't want to say timed out but like but they have to wait they would have to wait i bet you they are the they probably followed along just in the back yeah they yeah but i bet you there were some other people who just like fell off and i'm sure and stopped i'm sure sure. because think about we're talking about a a nation that's millions of people yeah Mm. so anyway so outside the camp it's something that's actually referred to in Hebrews, mm-hmm. if you know that. This is from Ligonier. It says, we are to go to Jesus outside the camp and to bear the reproach he has endured. Oh, yeah. The author of Hebrews calls us to identify with Christ no matter the cost. So Christ was being identified with from the Jewish perspective. That's why they hated him so much, because he was outside of Out, the camp. Outside, like he was yeah. like surrounding himself with quote unquote unclean people mm-hmm. and like sinners, sinners and, and all of yeah. that so like he was brutally murdered outside of the camp which if you remember the rest of the sacrifices are burned outside of the camp they were so. the remainder of it anyway there was a whole mm-hmm. thing on the ligonier that's really yeah that's good thing but it's interesting i was like just the fact that you're outside of the camp doesn't mean crap anymore mm-hmm. like the body of christ is inclusive it's not exclusive like yep these people were which i mean they were commanded by god to be so it's not their fault but (laughs) yeah anyway let's move on from that back to i am who i am i will have mercy on who i have mercy Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so the next portion um is confession and restitution right yeah it says in verse five and the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the people of israel when a man or a woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the lord And that person realizes his guilt. He shall confess his sin that he has committed and he shall make a full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him whom he did wrong. So this one is talking about, or it's directed for a person who makes a contract with another person and is Mm -hmm. unfaithful to the contract. Mm -hmm. Um, Their sin is not only against the other person that they've wronged, but it's also against the Lord. Correct. So like, if you remember back in Leviticus, there was restitution prices that you had to pay to the person that you've wronged, you had to pay what a guilt offering or something like yeah, that or something to the Lord for doing that as well. So my study Bible says this law extends the scope of Leviticus six, one through seven, which deals with the case of someone stealing his neighbor's property and then taking an oath, denying the fact this amounts to taking God's name in vain a most serious offense. If the offender later recognizes his guilt and confesses it, he must return to his neighbor's property plus 20% and offer a ram as a guilt offering. Verses 5 through 10 of Numbers 5 deals with the situation where there's none of the victim's family to receive the restored goods. In this case, it would go to the priest along with the sacrificial ram. Verses 9 through 10 generalize this principle. The priest who offers a sacrifice keeps for himself the parts are not burnt. 
The New Testament affirms that reconciliation with one's fellow man is required of those who would be at peace with God. So the first half of chapter five is talking about cleansing the the camp before yeah. they move. First is ceremonial purity. I read this in that book. Ceremonial, mm-hmm. I say that book, like the listeners are going to know. <laughs> <laughs> the commentary I've been reading, I borrowed it from the library. No, I'm sorry. I did not spend $60 on it. Hey, not that the Lord is not worth it, but sometimes we just don't have that. Um, libraries are not dead. Right. <laughs> borrowed it from the library. Um, and they said the first portion where we were talking about like removing the unclean people uh, was ceremonial purity and now with the with the second part of this section here the confession and restitution mm-hmm. is ethical purity that makes a lot of sense yeah i was like that's really good that makes a lot of sense but to i mean this kind of goes into i don't did i read this somewhere i don't know my notes are all over the place mm-hmm. i'm sorry if i'm not citing correctly probably this is not my own thoughts but it kind of ties into what the next whole the rest of chapter five is about but you don't want to be moving around in such a large group of people when there's quarrels with each other. Like if there's tension and all of that stuff, it's just going to be outrageous, well, you know? Yeah. Think about how drama and like situations can unfold in small groups. And it festers. And it festers. Mm-hmm. And then think about largely like if you have a if one tribe decides that they're mad at another tribe and then you have thousands of people warring with each other Mm -hmm. insane Mm -hmm. a civil war exactly a legitimate civil war within the nation so like this mitigates that and it's just a reminder of what they're supposed to do Mm -hmm. i feel like you can tell i'm eating chocolate hold on (laughs) definitely (laughs) so yes i really didn't have anything else on that section but their unity would be shattered if they were squabbling amongst themselves and taking God's name in vain. Yes. Enduring word. That's where I got that from. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You and enduring word are correct, I would say. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. I feel like we're back in Leviticus again with all the straightforward yeah. And laws. by the way, it is Leviticus chapters 11 through 16 if you wanted to reference those. Yes. At all. Yeah, all the, the laws and stuff that we talked <sighs> about. I just remember going through those. It was a struggle bus, man. Sure was. I can't imagine what the Israelites were having to go through. But I feel like if I would this these first six chapters of Numbers wouldn't make as much sense as no. they do if we didn't do Leviticus first. No, you know? they wouldn't make much sense. And I feel like too, if I was just reading this and not actually having a podcast and talking about it, yeah, I would have absolutely no. No, I would be like what? <laughs> what? What parody laws? What are you talking about? Right? I skimmed that section right? and then right. Anyway, so the rest of chapter five is, um, it's interesting. It's very interesting. And I, this is the part that I was talking about in the beginning that I don't remember learning about in Sunday school. Oh, yeah. No, they wouldn't have taught you this. Absolutely not. So it's verses 11 through the end of chapter five, which is what, 31? Um, yeah. Um, it's called, or my study Bible calls it, like sections it out, a test for adultery. Immediately, my ears are perked. Right? Say like, what? Excuse me? Because if you remember back in Leviticus, the penalty for adultery, if caught in the act, mm-hmm. was death mm-hmm. for both parties. Correct. So if you were not caught in the act, but your husband, as in, I'm saying you were not caught in the act, as in the woman is the offender here. But your husband is, you know, has a weird feeling about it. He, sus- he suspects. suspects. Or. Suspicious. 
or as the Bible says, the spirit of jealousy befalls him. Yeah. There are certain actions he can take. Let's read, shall we? Mm -hmm. All right. Verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel. If any man's wife goes astray and breaks faith with him, if a man lies with her sexually and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and if she is undetected, though she has defiled herself and there is no witness against her since she was not taken in the act. And if the spirit of jealousy comes over him and he is jealous of his wife who has defiled herself. Or if the spirit of jealousy comes over him and he is jealous of his wife, though she has not defiled herself, then a man shall bring his wife to the priest and bring the offering required of her a tenth of an afah of barley flour. He shall pour no oil on it and it put no frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of remembrance, bringing the iniquity to remembrance. Okay, if a woman has laid with another man, If a woman hasn't laid with another man, if her husband is jealous of her in general and or has suspicions, he brings her to the priests. Correct. And brings 22 liters of flour. Mm -hmm. Doesn't put anything in it because it's a terrible occasion. And regular flour. Regular. Not fine flour. Not just barley flour. Regular flour. Doesn't put oil or frankincense in it because usually grain offerings are for celebration. Correct. Oil and frankincense add to that celebration. Mm -hmm. So this is not for celebration. This is a serious matter. A serious matter. He suspects or he's very jealous of her. (laughs) I hated reading this section when I first read it. (laughs) So moving on, let's Mm -hmm. continue. Verse 16. Um, Mm -hmm. Should I go through 23 or do you want to stop? What's through 23? That's like the whole paragraph. Okay, let's just, we'll, we'll naturally stop. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and unbind the hair of the woman's head and place her hands in the grain of remembrance, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in his hand, the priest shall have the water. (laughs) I'm sorry. Hold on. (laughs) What verse is that? 18. Okay. It's not funny. It's not not. funny. No. Yeah. Okay. And in his hand, the priest shall take. No. The priest shall have the water of bitterness that brings the curse. Hold on. Why am I laughing? (laughs) Because at first read, it just sounds so ridiculous. Okay. 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 Here we go. Here we go. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and unbind the hair of the woman's head and place it in her hands, place in her hands, the grain offering of remembrance, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in his hand, the priest shall have the water of the bitterness that brings the curse. Okay, 19. And then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority, be free from this water of bitterness that brings the curse. But if you have gone astray, though you were under your husband's authority, and you have defiled yourself, and some man other than your husband has lain with you, Then let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse and say to the woman, the Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people. When the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell, may this water that brings the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, amen, amen. So are we just going to explain what's happening and then discuss the whole process after we read everything? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, the husband has brought the wife to the priest with the, the jealousy offering of the plain flower and the priest then, then the husband, I have this written out. Okay. How it works. Okay. The woman's brought with the offering. Nothing Can I added. I just say, this sounds like something of like a voodoo ritual. It does. Like the Salem witch trials, yeah. which I have a whole thing on. Don't okay, you worry. Okay, We're going to get there. We're going to get there because I had a very hard time getting past it. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, so the woman's brought first. There's a suspicion. Woman's brought um, to the priest with the offering. Nothing added because this is not a joyous time. Then the priest takes her before God and the priest takes holy water, Mm -hmm. which is just water that's been before God. Yes. And yeah, we're going to get there. Um, Right. I mean, it talks about what the, what the water is. Does it not? Mm, No. Yeah. With dust from the floor and yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, takes this water of the bitters, which we're going to get to here in a minute, takes her hair down and says, puts her hand in the flower. Puts her hand in the flower in the offering yeah takes her hair down takes her hair down makes her drink this water of the bitters with this bitter water whatever it's called and then he makes her take this oath basically saying uh if you if you have committed adultery oh wait no we haven't gotten to the drinking of the water yet this is just oh. saying i'm imagining a woman on her knees for some reason i don't know why it's why? very with like a, with a gun to the back of her head exactly holding the hand exactly with her You're hair like this. yeah anyway so like her hands are in the flower the priest is saying standing over her with the water with the dust in it from the tabernacle yeah. and saying you know if you accept this you know water of bitterness and you are not guilty then this will not happen to you. But if you are guilty, then this will happen to you. Your womb will swell and your thigh will fall away, which just literally means rot. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) disgusting. Um, And then we get on to the next of it. Yes. But like he makes her take that oath upon herself, which should trigger you to think words are very dangerous. They are. They're like words are so strong. Anyway, continuing 23. Are we ready? Is Mm -hmm. that okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Then the priest shall write these curses in a book and wash them off onto the water of bitterness. And he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings the curse. And the water that brings the curse shall enter into her and cause her bitter pain. Love that. And the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy out of the woman's hand and shall wave the grain offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as it it's a as its memorial portion and burn it on the altar. And afterwards she shall no afterwards shall make the woman drink the water. And when Oh gosh. And when he has made her drink the water, then if she has defiled herself and has broken faith with her husband, the water that brings the curse shall into enter into her and cause her bitter pain and her womb shall swell and her thigh shall fall away and the woman shall become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive children. So thus far, picking up where we left off. With your hair being down, the priest standing behind you with the You've pistol to your the back of your head. No, there's no pistol. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you've just taken this oath and you've said amen, amen. So like you... You amen. concur to whatever... Whatever's the, happening. Yeah. Whatever happens as the result is on you, honey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then he writes all of these curses in a book. Yeah. And puts I, the ink in the water and makes you drink it. 
Yeah. Which, I mean, you could probably get iron poisoning from that, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think if you were guilty a little more than that was going to happen. I mean, yeah. But <laughs> I'm just saying. So she drinks it, and then basically it just reiterates what's going to happen to her if she's yeah. guilty. So I feel like this whole process is a guilty until proven innocent situation. That's what it seems like. I don't like. Yeah. That's what it seems like at first regard. And it's a lot on the woman. Are we reading the last half yet? Oh, we Before we get into this whole fine. debate, let's Sorry. just finish the section off. and Well, not right. debate. But 29, discussion. the end of the chapter. This is a law in cases of jealousy when a wife, though under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself, or when the spirit of jealousy comes over a man and he is jealous of his wife. Then he shall set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall carry out all, no, shall carry out for her all this law. The man shall be free from iniquity, but the woman shall bear her iniquity. If she's guilty, she shall bear her iniquity. So. I'm sorry. Did it say that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you just read it. It, you, it, it did. I'm yes. just kidding. You have things. I have, I have things. Yes. So you go ahead. Well, I think. What does it say? Okay. I think the first thing we need to establish, and we talked about this. I can't remember when if it was Leviticus or if it was Leviticus and in Genesis. But we've talked about, and we talked about even before we started recording, how we cannot allow our Western way of thinking mm-hmm. to our post-women's mis- suffrage thinking mm-hmm. <laughs> construe what is happening here. So I wanted to read this little piece from um, Numbers by Timothy R. Ashley, citing my sources. The cultural life of the ancient Near East was very different from modern life as regards to societal roles and etc. And we must not make the text into something it is not just because what it, it just because what it is grates on our 20th century consciousness. It's cringe. It's cringe. But once we have issued this warning, let us also be careful that this text is not made into an anti-woman trial by ordeal on the basis of a surface reading. Yeah. Right? So there's the two extremes there. Which is the first thing you... Because when I read this, I'm immediately like, this is a witch trial for women haters. Listen, I did some research and he's not wrong. He's not wrong. It is a Near Eastern custom where the woman is under the authority of her husband and they go to quote unquote trial. But all of these trials outside of the Israelite people were trials of just, it was a whole ordeal. Like it, That's literally it, what they were called. Trials or trials by ordeal, ordeal trials. Oh, um, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So like they, they would bring these women and they were literally guilty until proven innocent. Now, this in relation to what other other cultures did at the time is very minute some people threw women off of a cliff into water and if they sank or if they survived that then they were innocent again like let's not forget this is the ancient near east but some of them had to carry like hot yes like hot items iron, yes. like iron items and, and like all of that also mess. keep in mind that people did this i don't want to say recently but more recently than this in salem with the whole witch trials and things yeah. like it was all trials the by birthmark? ordeal are you like, kidding me you have a birth you're a witch i have one in the shape of abraham lincoln's hat on my knee am i a witch i think not i am a child of god 
that I am. <laughs> I do. It's tiny. What's anyway. it? No Salem witch trials. Like one of them was like, if you are burned at the stake and you live, you're innocent. Yeah, you're guilt. Yes, yeah. Or like exactly like we're gonna tie or all these. You, we're gonna live, tie all guilty. these rocks to you, and if you sink, then you're guilty. <laughs> like it was just they were ridiculous things, and a lot of time, like I have written down, I even color coded it, so I was having fun. Um, by the way, the but, whole Salem witch trials, they were just high on some mushrooms the entire time. That's yeah, why. It's, <laughs> yeah, not for this podcast. No. <laughs> um, so it's the trials true, by ordeal, like you said, often included heat, water, or a potion. Like they literally would... Poison this was in, in the codes of Hammurabi was one of the external sources that this guy cited. Um, they would literally jump in. Women had to jump and be thrown into rivers. Yes, yeah, like thrown off a cliff. Craziness. Um, okay. So, so that's kind of minute compared like this is kind of minute compared to that. Yes. But we also have to keep in mind, too, what I had to keep telling myself is, is that this is not magic. No, it's not magic. No. And it's very hard. Well, I shouldn't say it's, it's very it was very like I had to keep reminding myself of that as I was rereading portions of it this. It sounds text. like it. And honestly, like it, it got me into like the mindset of like divination exactly a little bit like in those definitions Mm -hmm. but this is divine intervention that's exactly what it's literally in the hands of god and that's Mm -hmm. what the difference is Mm -hmm. between trials of ordeal that was brought on by man and your punishment then was brought on by man yeah this was you know yes the priest performed it but it was entirely in front of god God. yes Mm -hmm. and then what happened was because literally she's drinking water with dirt mixed in it like that's all i mean i don't want to say that that's all that it is because it's so much more than that but like and that's ink. what there it was is ink in there too yeah. okay yes <laughs> they wrote yes. they wrote the curses yes, in did. a book and, washed and pushed it, out. it into the water like, <laughs> can we just bring out this page here let me bring out this second. papyrus really fast like but that's what it was it wasn't like they were carrying they weren't being pushed off of cliffs into rivers right no so, it was very chill and then the punishment then because I don't want to say that that's all that it was, but it was very clearly not poisoned, not mixed with anything else by human hands. It was all from mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I had that I had to keep telling myself mm-hmm. that I had to keep telling myself as I was reading this is that this is this was all God. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I have another thing. I mean, it just sounds like it was very humiliating for the woman. And I guess that's the part that I did not like. So I have a whole thing on that too, but right. to go back to like the difference between and like how we can just establish the difference between like trials of ordeal and this divine trial, right? Yes. The present ritual as in this one um, differs in important ways from the typical trial by ordeal. Um, first trial or by deal was dangerous to innocent and guilty. Both parties was dangerous to both of them. Um, here because the water they were women. Yes. Here, the water probably (laughs) poses no threat. Like I said, it's water mm -hmm, mixed with dirt and some ink, like you said. Not that I'm putting down what it was. Um, Second, uh, the ordeal was accused. The accused had to survive something inherently dangerous and inherently harmful. If the accused was harmed by an inherently harmful agent, the person was guilty. That sounds so ridiculous. Like, of course, if you're carrying like... But that's legit how it was. I know, but like, yeah, like, that's just... Are you burned by that hot iron over there? (laughs) I tied a rock to you and you sunk? (laughs) Like... 
<laughs> just I sounds, guess Boyle's law just hadn't come into effect yet. <laughs> sounds ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Thus, the accused was guilty until proven innocent. Here, like you said, because you said it sounds like you sound like it sounds like a guilty until proven innocent here the case is genuinely open as verse 12 through 14 show let me find it 12 through 14 says what speak to the people of israel if a man okay if any man's wife goes astray and breaks faith with him if a man lies with her sexually and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband and she is undetected through okay but then it also comes in and says but if she is not like perhaps yes perhaps the woman is guilty perhaps she is not third in the ancient near eastern ordeals the guilt of the party was determined by the ordeal procedure but the punishment was pronounced separately by the court by other people humans Mm -hmm. injury to the guilty party was separate from the legal penalty here the penalty is the outcome of the ritual uh finally the punishment in the ancient near eastern ordeal is manifest immediately here we have no statement of how long i thought about this here we have no statement of how long it will take for this liquid to work so anyways be and a lot of the things that i read said that this sounds like it was for men who hate their wives but really this was also put in place to protect women as well i thought that too because it's divine. like i changed my stance yeah like, like you know that mm-hmm. it's divine at first because absolutely i'm like what no no we're not doing this not every time you're mad at your wife and we're not taking her to the priest but i also read too that oftentimes when the husband was suspicious they were starting to show signs of pregnancy Hmm. i read that in this book as well why why were they showing signs of pregnancy yeah when he was starting to be suspicious that because if you haven't laid with your wife i guess and she's all of a sudden showing signs that she may be with a child and i mean i guess we'll eventually get there too but the guilty you know as we read that make them have a miscarriage Mm -hmm. yeah that's yes i read somewhere something that was like a little crazy and i didn't really i didn't copy paste it because it was a little crazy (laughs) um but it was like some rabbi or something said that it was like legend or whatever so like not biblically founded at Mm -hmm. all but said that um when they went through this ritual or whatever if the woman was guilty like all of those things happened, but it also happened to the man she laid with. <laughs> oh gosh. Like his peen fell off. <laughs> fell off. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. What was the name of that lady who cut her husband's wean off <laughs> and threw it out the window? She cursed this thingy green. Yeah. Anyway. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. What I read, like this source, this numbers commentary uh, said that it was it's probably a miscarriage and then she could never get pregnant again. So interesting Um, yes what else did i have written down oh i had stuff about the unbinding of her hair because it just sounds so random it's it's i just feel like the whole thing is probably so humiliating for the woman which is why it's it's the priest before god it's It's, a blessing in disguise mm -hmm. a thousand percent it's with the priest between because the he so the husband brings her to the priest and then the priest takes her yeah from what i'm reading so it's her the priest and god it's not like this is a public thing. Yeah, the priest shall set her, set her, <laughs> shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. Yeah, that's why I don't think, I think that like he, the priest then took her, took the offering, they did the thing and then came back and they're like, she go in the tabernacle? 
I don't know. I thought about that. I also didn't look Probably up. not because like he took the dirt from the floor of the tavern. The floor of the tavern. So maybe just like kind of like in the, the courtyard or at the door maybe yeah. inside the door. But yeah. Um, but anyway, the unbinding of everything again with God, we talked about this so many times before is all very symbolic. Yes. Like the unbinding of your hair was a sign of mourning and also could represent a sign of uncleanliness. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there was that. And also, too, I liked that they'd be terrified, right? Like, because adultery in itself is just like a the same very time, big sin. It's one of the Ten this, Commandments. This is at the same time. This is where why faith is so important. Because if you're innocent, then you have absolutely positively nothing. No, to I know worry what I'm about, saying. You know? Like, but like, I'm I know that. But like, yes. if she was guilty, I wonder how many women actually drank the water because they knew what would happen. If they didn't just confess. That's not what I'm saying. Like, if she was guilty of adultery, which is in the Ten Commandments, which is the penalty by death, Mm -hmm. she has a sin on her, Mm -hmm. which is making her unclean. And if she hasn't come and confessed that sin and done a sin offering, she is not free of that sin unless the Day of Atonement has passed. Right? Mm -hmm. So if she is brought before the Lord in a state of uncleanness of adultery, why was she not just smoked? Well, I think for process... I mean, I hate to say it, but for like standard operations of procedure. What? Like to go through the whole, I don't, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Like if you're set before the Lord. So there's no way she could have set forth in the tabernacle then. No. There's no way she could have went into the tabernacle. No. But yes. But like, why would he let them live if they were guilty? Because I, maybe like once this whole thing happened, then he went into the whole levitical laws where yeah yeah i don't know do you know what i'm saying yeah Mm -hmm. like you're in a state of uncleanness Mm -hmm. and you're yeah which is probably why she couldn't go i don't know maybe it was just in maybe just in these circumstances i don't i don't know i have no answers for that i mean i would hope that they wouldn't be no answers for that but also at the same time why is there not a similar test for the man because let's be real Again, Western society, like Western thinking. You're going to tell me that men did not commit adultery? I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying, like, think about Western, or I mean, you know, ancient Eastern society. This whole thing. And the way women, what women's roles were within the society. And I bet you any money a woman was not allowed to accuse her husband of anything. No. So it wouldn't have even mattered. I guess. You just slowly poison him. Probably what they did. <laughs> What's that stuff called? Arsenic. Arsenic. Yeah. Do you ever see flowers in the attic? No. The grandma puts it in the sugar on the cookies that she gives the cookies. She gives to the kids. No. Oh, it's messed up. Anyway. Um. So I, I originally, when I read this whole ordeal, like this whole thing, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so sexist. Like, why is it just the women? This is so humiliating. She's got to suffer even though she's innocent, you know, because at the same time, it says that she's going to suffer bitterly regardless Mm -hmm. when she drinks the water because it's holy water it's water that's been in the presence of god i can imagine that's like a white hot branding iron being stuck down yeah think about like it's holy water because it's been in the presence of god but then also too like the dust it from the floor of the tabernacle which is quite literally god's dwelling place like you're drinking something that's been in the presence of god she gonna hurt do you remember it's probably taking a shot of tequila do you remember <laughs> we're probably last longer with menstrual cramps following true oh gosh do you remember um 
when Moses was, you know, God showed himself to Moses and how he had to hide behind a literal boulder and how his face shone, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that, but inside of your body. Yeah. Right. Or how like drink the sun, you could see like the trail of what was it? Was it Sapphire? Was it Sapphire or something? Whenever the leaders like went up on the mountain with Moses and they couldn't see or go near the presence of God because like their bodies glass. couldn't bear it. Sea of glass. But that in your body. Yeah. Shards. Mm-hmm. The burning bush that didn't burn anything but was burning inside your body. Anyway. Yeah. But what was I saying? Oh, yeah. About how it's so unfair. But at the same time, this whole thing is a blessing in disguise from the outside Western world looking in. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, it wasn't up to her husband for the punishment or to see if she was guilty or not. It wasn't up to the priest. It wasn't up to anybody else other than God. Like he was the one that gave her the punishment if she was guilty. He was the one that determined if she was guilty, which he could because he's omniscient. Like it's, it does not fall within the hands of man. And two, like I said, I mean, I'm also wondering how many of these women like because think about the society in which you're living you know the severity of what's going to happen yeah if you lie and you drink the water how many women didn't just confess before they drank the water what would happen if they did confess but they could i would imagine that that's when that's when whatever it said in leviticus would happen would would happen they would die they would yeah would be my guess is what the punishment if that's what the punishment so was. would you rather never have children again or die immediately i don't know <laughs> i mean i don't i don't think any of us have to worry about that but no but i'm, I'm just saying you yeah know? i don't know like i i guess i really didn't look to see if there were like contradictions or whatever mm-hmm. in between yeah but in thinking about it in like modern day terms like think about like if you had to go to trial if this was something that they did yeah. where like you have to go to trial and i'm sure that this happens whenever people have divorce you have to prove that you know, your spouse, especially in, in the state where like they have to pay fines and stuff. Um, you can sue. But yeah. Um, you're an adulterer, by the way, if you're cheated on in the state of North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know them and they they actually knew that they were married and had the affair anyway. Mm-hmm. You can sue the other person they cheated with. Yes. But anyways, so think about anything like you would have to present a case in front of a judge and a jury present evidence. There would be an investigation, a whole long process. Whereas here you take your wife to the priest. It's a good day. And they're like, here you go. See what what happens. happens. Because think about, especially if it's divine nature, like if you're going to have a miscarriage. That sucks yeah and that's painful in itself i can imagine like if if the liquid was what caused by the liquid i mean like the holy water and the holy i don't want to say holy dirt but like the holy the dust from the floor the the holy dust dust. if that's what caused the rotting slash falling away Mm -hmm. i.e the miscarriage it probably worked within 12 to 24 hours is what i would guess yeah no sources just suspicion i don't know and I couldn't find anything of like incidences where like they did this and something happened. Like I couldn't, there was no. And something did happen or did not happen? Like, like I, I couldn't find like where they did this with a woman and like something happened. Like yeah. there was that one rabbi that was like, yeah, the man was affected too. Oh, but yeah. like that was it. Yeah. Which, you know, he also take that doesn't with a believe Jesus who is Jesus. Take that with a grain of salt. Um. Oh my goodness. I was going to say something else. I don't remember. Anyway. I don't have anything else on that. I don't think I do either. That's all I have to tell you about that. I think to sum it up, 
you just have to remember that God is in control of the whole situation and it's not people and it's not magic. Mm-hmm. No, it's not magic. It's divine mysterious ways. God works in mysterious ways. Divine intervention. Okay. All right. Yep. Chapter six is talking all about the Nazarite, right? Mm-hmm. The Nazarite vow. Yep. So to be completely and a thousand percent honest, I had no idea what the Nazarite law was. No, no clue. Didn't know it was a thing until I started reading examples of who some of them were. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Nazarite, Nazarite, uh, mm-hmm. Jesus of Nazareth. Right. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. That's what I thought. <laughs> right. No, it's not. It's not that. So I literally looked it up. Well, we can read because the definition of it is in the verses. So, right. Mm hmm. Chapter six, verse one, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister, if they die, shall he make himself unclean because of his separation to God is on his head. And all the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. Okay, so that's the Nazarite vow. There's a couple things in here. It has like five features-ish. Mm-hmm. So it's voluntary. Yep. The Nazarite vow is voluntary and it's basically a way that you can separate yourself in servitude to the Lord for a specific amount of time. So mm-hmm. that's the second thing. It's voluntary and it has a specific time frame. It can be men or women, um, has specific requirements and restrictions. Mm-hmm. And then and the conclusion, there's a sacrifice, which we'll talk about. Yeah. That's the five elements of it. So you don't have any alcohol, no grape products at all. There's no cutting of your hair and no dead bodies. Correct. You can't touch any dead bodies. It was a vow to basically abstain from doing all those things while consecrating yourself to the servitude of God. And like the time frame that you did that for, the vow that you made with God was up to you. Yeah. Like you can do it for a week. You could do it for seven years. Yeah. You know? Got question says, while generally done by the individual, by his own choice, two individuals in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament were presented to God by their parents, Mm -hmm. Samuel and Samson in the Old Testament and John the Baptist in the New Testament Mm -hmm. received the Nazarite vow from birth. And they continued that. Yeah. Isn't Samson the guy with the hair? Yeah. Which. (laughs) LOL. That makes sense. Yep. And also, too, this is basically like the way any lay people could be called by god yes if you were not a levite then this in this way you could still serve god you could serve god and be separated and be holy similar to the priest but you couldn't go you still right. couldn't, you still do, couldn't do the things. priestly and levite duties you no. don't look at the no no Mm-mm. it was just a way of setting yourself further apart yes from the rest of israel yes. right and also too i wanted to talk about you know you said about wasn't samson the guy with the hair mm-hmm. and you know i mean i don't know if you have anything like to talk about the things and why you couldn't do them or whatever no i don't i mean i think like as far as like strong drink and dead people go 
I, I feel like that sounded so cold. I did not mean for it to nah. be disrespectful to the dead. But anyways, um, like I feel like that's self-explanatory. We already talked about uncleanliness and how yeah. that relates to bodies and like drinking alcohol. The priest could not drink. Correct. So, I mean, I think that that's pretty self-explanatory. Do you think this is where the Mormons get their stuff? No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm Continue. sure some aspect Continue. of it. Um, but the hair, I was like, but hair, you can't cut your hair. But why? Yeah, why can't you cut your hair? It's just because it was against the societal norm so that when people saw you, like they would know. Like the visual representation of Yeah, Nazarite. which is why, like, when you hear about I mean, John the Baptist, he's probably one of, I mean, not he's my, my favorite, favorite because honestly, Jesus, obviously, hello, but he's probably one of my favorite people to read about, even though there's so little in there about him because he was so, he was such an eccentric, he was a hippie, <laughs> he was a hippie. And that's what I think they were hit that. I don't want to say the Nazarites were hippies, but like, John the Baptist because literally they, lived in the woods, like he literally lived in the woods and ate crickets. Yeah, like, but like that explains like his hair and like why he didn't partake in certain things yeah. and like you know. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting. I mean, I'm like, he was basically he was the so cousin much. of Jesus, was he not? Yeah, he was. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. of course, <laughs> there's one of these things too. I, I was just thinking about this. You know, my they son probably and I, grew up together. Think about that uh i think to a certain extent i really honestly have no idea i don't know there's so little about mary we and elizabeth know that they were near each other when they were both in uterine yeah she visited her yeah it's so like i'm and saying john like did a flip probably, yeah. he did flips yeah so yeah. like they probably met up you know yeah i'm sure um but completely off track like <laughs> yes um the hair sorry okay. oh this is totally random i, I was just something that totally just dawned on me you know my son and i we watch these videos every night i don't know we call them jesus videos they're like really short Mm -hmm. kid cartoon clips with different stories in the bible and he is the illustration not the illustration the author what's the word narrator Mm -hmm. says i think it was it was the story of samson samson who was a nazarite from birth in my head i've always thought like what does that even mean Mm -hmm. like what is but now i know we understand he was set apart for the servitude of God. Yeah, before mm-hmm. he was born. Yep. Or when he was born. So my study Bibles about the separation to God is on his head. It says the word here translated separation is also used of the high priest's crown. Both priestly crown and the Nazarites' uncut hair remained other no reminded other people of their dedication to God's service. And this way the dedication of the Nazarites was a challenge to every Israelite to follow the Lord wholeheartedly learning about like these different things like hearing these laws and like i'm thinking to like specifically like this like the nazarites and like reminding other people to like of god's law and like mm-hmm. living for god and everything and then this whole you know test for adultery and everything mm-hmm. you can really see how the world and society got everything twisted in how everything went wrong mm-hmm. you know what i mean like of course, of course, there's going to be trials by ordeal because people are pulling it from, I mean, not. I don't know that they're using this specific test as like the basis for how they do mm-hmm. it, but like, you know, you can just see like how extreme, like, oh, you have leprosy, so you're, no, your sins must have been terrible. Yeah. That's real bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can twist it because that's one of the, one of the um, tools in the toolbox of the enemy. Mm-hmm. He will take the truth and turn it 
into untruths. Right. And he will make what's what's wrong seem right and what's right seem wrong. Right. Which is why in our society nowadays, if you are a Christian, you love God and country, you are psycho. Like you don't love everybody and mm-hmm. you are a um, not, extremist. Mm-hmm. Extremist. Like when I mean, don't get me wrong, there's ways of approach. Yeah. But like but that's one of the tools. Like it's exactly it. Like it's part of the fall. Like it's one of the tools he uses yeah. to pull people away from God. Right. Like which why, if you're in the hand of Christ, that is physically impossible. Right. So. Like why, whenever we first read the section about the test for adultery was our first immediate thought of oh, woman haters. Right. Oh, when really it was, that was not the, the intention was more, no. was to protect women and to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because of course, if you're innocent, nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we are a product of our environment. That's why we sure. think like that. <laughs> Love my flesh. <laughs> anyway. Um, so basically the rest of six is talking about if you were to break one of those vows. So if you were in a vow um, of a Nazarite and you said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be a Nazarite for seven years. And that's going to be the length of my Nazarite vow. Um, and then you go and you, somebody dies right next to you and you touch them like that broke your vow of uncleanness or of cleanness, I guess. And it made you unclean. So you would have to go to the temple and make sacrifices, basically shave your head, have the hair burned, and then you would have to restart over your, your term of vow. Mm -hmm. So if you were, you know, six years and 364 days and somebody dies right next to you, you have to do do over a whole, whole seven over. years yeah because you have to keep your vow to the lord because mm-hmm. you, it's the last thing you you're lucky you don't just die break a vow with god like, you know i mean that was no fault of their own when the that they broke the vow yeah of the dead body falling right oh next to yeah okay um so when your time is up and your separation has been completed um you're gonna bring burnt offering a sin offering and a peace offering and a grain offering and a grain offering and a wine offering, offering. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all, these, all the offerings, all the offerings uh, to the tent. And you're going to make all of those offerings. Um, and then you're going to shave your head and you're going to burn, burn your hair. <laughs> it smell. I can't imagine. Does, is that a, pre- is that a pleasing aroma? No, <laughs> it's to God. So how do we, uh, the Nazarite shall shave his head at the entrance of the tent of meeting, take his hair and put it on the fire. And the priest shall take the shoulder of the ram when it is boiled and one unloving loaf out of the basket and one unloving water and shall put them in the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his hair, hair, (laughs) hair, after he has shaved the hair of his consecration and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy portion for the priest together with the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed after that the Nazarite may drink wine. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. I can only imagine like a, the party that would ensue after a person right. like has done this. But that probably also like, it'll be a celebration. It'd be a I celebration. Don't think it'd, it'd be, be like, like a, Thanksgiving, you know, yeah. because God gave him the strength to finish out the vow. Yes. And how you know? good that would feel. Right. Um, the, the very last verse that kind of covers the Nazarite law says, this is the law of the Nazarite, but if he vows an offering to the Lord above his Nazarite vow, as he can afford in exact accordance with the vow that he takes, he shall do in addition to the law of the Nazarite. So basically saying that if you are vowing to be a Nazarite and you also vow to do something else, you do that on top of your Nazarite law or your Nazarite vow. Like vow to do what else? Give me an example. I don't know. God, nope. 
let me not say that you vow to I don't know read your bible every single day or something like that like you would do it above what you're already doing for the Nazarite vow okay it would be like in addition to in addition to yeah I mean that was really all I had to I literally had two points on that why did I make a special note about consecrating themselves the last half of the um chapter six is one of the most famous verses I feel yeah nice yeah one that everybody sh- probably has memorized if you yeah. ever went to church. I didn't know that it was here. I thought it was in the I New Testament. I didn't either. I'm sure that it is again in the New Testament, but I didn't know this was where the first time it was. Mm-mm. Nope. I had no I idea. No clue. And it's called Aaron's blessing. It is. So verse 22 says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they be, mm. (laughs) so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. And that is the end of chapter six. That was it. I love that. Me too. There's so much. There's so much within that just very short blessing of prayer. You know, the Lord bless you and keep you. That is so much in itself. It's, it's the best, it's the best thing that you could possibly ever want. Mm -hmm. Um, All blessings come from God and without his blessing, nothing really works out right. Obviously (laughs) I've seen that firsthand. Um, We all have my friend. We all have. We often expect God's blessing to mean comfort and ease no but that's not our greatest Those are nice good you know god knows how we need to be blessed mm-hmm. we don't and mm-hmm. and and his blessing may not look like what we want it to look like yeah but it's still a blessing nonetheless mm-hmm. it's a blessing in disguise is. is what i like to what i like to say um enduring word says but to be kept by the lord ensures life peace and success Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we're not in the Constitution right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As his face shine upon you. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of dangerous. Yes. But it's in like happy adoration is yeah. what it's in. Not in dangerous face shine Not upon you. where I need to hide you in a cliff. Like. Right. Because if his face is shining on you. It's just think about happy. Yeah. Um, be gracious to you. I like that part because it's also incorporating his mercy mm-hmm. and his grace, mm-hmm. which is what we desperately need every day, all day, all day. Thank you, Lord. Um, and give you peace. I don't know. What does countenance mean? Face. No. Lift up. Or face. It says lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Your person's face or facial expression. Yeah. Support. I just probably didn't want to repeat it. Peace in the Hebrew as we've talked about before, is shalom, God's word for wholeness and goodness and total satisfaction in life. So when people say shalom, yes, wholeness, goodness, total satisfaction in life. Something I think is from um, Enduring Word, or maybe you got questions, I don't remember, was talking about Aaron's prayer and where it was first found, or not first found, but Tell where me. it was found. It says that this blessing was important in the lives of the ancient Israelites is attested in the copy of it found in the excavations of Katif Hinnom to the southwest of Mount Zion and the old city of Jerusalem and digging within the compound of the Scottish St. Andrew's Church on the western slope of the Hinnom Valley in 1979. The expedition led by some archaeologists unearthed a late 7th to 6th century BC burial complex. Among the remains recovered was a... 
Why are I you don't, making that face? I don't know what that word is. It's spelled <laughs> P-H-Y-L-A-C-T-E-R-Y. Nope. Phylactery. Does it's that little, sound like if you take that, it'll make you poop? Right. <laughs> a laxative. No. <laughs> I feel like it's like a little like metal scroll. Yeah, I think. I'm sure. Um, containing two silver scrolls the size of a small cigarette upon which were written two versions of the priestly blessing. This had been used as amulets during the lives of the individuals dead or um, <laughs> as their burial pendants. I don't know what that word. I can't pronounce that. Um, the text. or whatever? No. Interred. And no, no. Mm-mm. See exactly. Mm-mm. The text on the larger one is nearly identical to that of the of this text, and ab and oh my gosh, and an abbreviated version of the second and third blessings was written on the smaller. As such, they attested the authenticity and iniquity of the priestly benediction. These texts also contain the oldest attestation of the telegramination found to date in Jerusalem. Very cool. Don't know what any of those words mean, but they basically found them on dead bodies in Jerusalem, like yeah. super, super close to this time period. Very interesting because it's beautiful and it's really important and it's mm-hmm. very strong. It is. Anyway, that's think, it. Yeah, that's that's six, five and six for you. LMAO, can anyone guess what our favorite verses are? <laughs> LOL. <laughs> What it are they? Is. Drum roll. Have you guessed what it is? I'll give you another minute. Okay, just a few more seconds. 6, 24 through 26. Yes. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. amen. I'm like, why do I feel like I need to say amen after this? Right? It's, well, it's it's a prayer. It's a prayer. You want that over your life. So it's just so great that God literally spoke to Moses and gave him a prayer to say to the people of Israel and that we can now say to the whole congregation Mm -hmm. of the church. So it's good. It has so much to unpack within just those, you know, three little lines, but we spent 15 minutes talking about it. Yeah. And I feel like this episode is getting a little long. (laughs) It is compared to the last few. So on the next episode, we will be discussing numbers chapter seven and eight. Seven is quite a long um, chapter and I'm a little scared. Yeah, um, I'm nervous. But that will be up next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed the time we spent in God's Word and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.